Welcome to the All Talk Show um, on the Warren Beckwith Show as well with uh, with myself, uh, the, the host Warren Beckwith. And it's nice to meet you, Jess Murray. Besides doing a podcast in the uh, coronavirus era, uh, we're sitting here thinking about what cars we're going to buy. Can we still carry on? Can we still buy collector cars? Can we still buy collector bikes? Is there going to be that person out there? Well, it's, it's very unsure about what's going to happen and how it's going to affect the marketplace. Uh, for, for for everybody and there's plenty of people that are going to lose their jobs and there's maybe a lot of ripples but you know things will carry on and there'll be opportunities. A jet petrol station in Grantham the, really that's probably how we met because uh, I pulled in there and I lived on one side of the town and you lived on the other I remember and uh, I was the I thought I was the only guy that spoke with a southern accent sort of North Hertfordshire uh, and you was the only other guy that obviously spoke the same language as me in the town of Grantham. But uh, yeah, I remember pulling in there needing a fiver's worth of petrol to get me up the hill and over the road. And uh, there was a guy with an empty petrol tin. And, that, and it's amazing that neither of us went out that day to, you know, no. to meeting somebody. And it's amazing that what, what, what we did from there. Yeah, because I think what caught your ear was, I remember you was buying your, your two, well, I think it was what, about two pound a gallon then, but you was buying your two pounds worth of petrol and I went up to the till to pay. And I think it was my accent that made you, your ears prick up and say, hey, this isn't a guy from Grantham. <laughs> being politically Grantham correct, but yes, it isn't a guy from Grantham. And uh, Warren being Warren said, hello. So, and, and I said, well, hey, where are you from? And quickly exchanged uh, areas where we were from and said, hop in the car, I'll give you a lift back. And it was about a mile away. So I turned the car back around and uh, I think that five minute journey ended up into a, probably a 35 year relationship. But it was, uh, it's amazing that what, what came out of uh, what we did and the places that we went and the trips to Birmingham and the trips all over the place and the, the, the cars that we that we bought and and the, the the fun i mean is there any stories that to you that stand out yes i guess there's there's, there's, there's a few but i will say that as well as as well as meeting a very diverse character instantly the fire was lit and i, I think we've both been looking for each other along that it sounds a bit romantic but we fight uh on a business level we've both been looking for each other you needed somebody to inspire you and i did myself and i think you know we both taught each other different things and then that journey started getting up getting in the car purpose to get up in the morning and i was selling my cars one way and you were selling them another and i think probably to your credit i learned more off you than you learned off me but i think you picked up a few things along the way as well and we 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 rolled along rather than ducked and dive and uh yes there was many a day out in the car that we could have in the middle of Birmingham and we'd meet all sorts of characters uh, selling Range Rovers and uh... I gotta say that in in the time and all the the, the deals and, and 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 the fun and the laughs that we had uh... I remember I remember standing on your drive I'd bought awful three-door Range Rover white series one and I remember it was ex-police and I bought it from Misham auctions for about five odd thousand quid and I realized it was just a, a pony and uh, you berated me how I actually, why would you buy this and why do you keep going to auctions? And I said, well, I don't know any other way to buy cars. And 
you said to me, well, we'll sell this car. And I thought, well, I'm stuffed with it. You get good luck to you. So we put it in the auto trader on a Monday and the trigger came round. It will probably later on come into our conversations and <laughs> took a photo. And sure enough, it was in the auto trader on the Friday. And I think it was even that afternoon, we got a call. The way you went about your business was different than me. And you were very upfront and in people's faces and you got the guy over. And this car was really not a very good but somehow you managed to sell the guy this car and we made about 500 quid but whilst telling him that and I was so embarrassed by the car and I couldn't stand listening to it I remember and you're uh, going into your kitchen where your family were at the time and I just went in there and had a cup of tea with your partner and said I can't stand there listening to him because he's making this guy buy this car and at that point I realized that there's different ways to buy and different ways to sell and uh, that was a lesson that I've well, learned. That, that's interesting because I'd have never thought that I, I don't actually consider myself as being a, uh, a a very salesy sort of a salesy a pushy salesperson person if you see what I mean. No we needed to sell this Range Rover. <laughs> then, oh, we could, then we could move on into higher echelons of driving in and out of yeah, um, I, I must I must have had the super glue out at that time the good old days when you could buy Audi Quattro's seven and a half thousand pounds and own them three times and sell them three times for a profit and, <laughs> and when you look at your registration document and it says on there whether your profession and of course he worked at pedigree pet foods in in the tasting department and i filled the reg document yeah. dr dog food uh, and i never really <laughs> he rang us yeah, the problem he, was we had to own the bloody car again didn't we? So, <laughs> yeah but we knew why it didn't matter the fact that he was known as dr dog food <laughs> i mean i moved back to london and that, that made obviously the the uh the trading uh, not as easy but we also we, we spent a lot of time backwards and forwards to spain which was uh, we had some good trips and tr trigger comes back in, into later in life as well as being my uh, one and only loyal race mechanic well a, a mechanic maybe good changing oil on a sierra but mechanic being a bike mechanic when uh, you're racing around the roads in ireland and that and i remember once there's such a good paddock life that you'd have in the paddock with the bike paddock which is completely sort of a lot a lot less snobby than the car paddock and uh, we'd always have a drink and sometimes they'd even threaten you in the morning with a breathalyzer. They'd say that if you guys don't go to bed and I mean we're not just talking uh, the likes of amateur racers like myself, you'd be in the same paddock as some of the very famous Irish road racers and they'd all threaten everybody with the breathalyzer in the morning that we didn't go to, go, go, go to bed and uh, be ready for racing in the morning. But Trigger, Trigger did his normal, got stuck into uh, about 16 little beers and then a bottle of red wine and then passed out. And he was in a he was in what we'd call today as a director's chair. We couldn't wake him up. So what we thought this, the punishment for Trigger this time would be to duct tape him to the chair. So he was so passed out, we duct taped his arms to the chair. Uh, so we duct taped the whole trigger basically to this. If you've ever tried to get off a director's chair completely covered in duct tape, till about seven in the morning when he'd already woken up about five, but there was nobody in the paddock to get him out of this thing. So there was trigger trying to walk around with a, with a chair duct taped to his ass. Uh, walking around the paddock before we all due for scrutineering. I'd had a few handling problems and uh, we'd changed the tyres that weekend. We'd gone from Dunlops to I think a Michelin tyre that when we was racing on the circuits we'd, we'd had Dunlops and the track being on a road so, so it was the Ulster Grand Prix 
and we was in the 750 classic race there and uh, so we we were limited to what tires we could have it was a steep learning curve and uh, basically we changed these tires these michelins and said right you got the wheel in and everything and i'd always sort of try and double check everything because we were just a two-man team even though there was a whole gang of us that everybody... No, but by the time he'd had a drink, you needed him to be a beer Oh, to absolutely. Too. So in the morning, we went and got the Michelins on the bike and we got them in. And uh, I mean, my bike had been handling actually okay on the Dunlops, but you know, it was like, you know, whispering trees, you've got to be on the Michelins if you want an extra second a lap or whatever. Well, so I got the Michelins on the bike and went out and practice and it was a dry practice. And uh, it rained the day before and the Dunlops had done pretty good in the rain. And I went down the Flying Kilo, and it's the place where if you're on a, uh, it's from the start line to the uh, to the first right-hand bend, and they will sit on the fence there. And it's got, it's, you know, you think, oh, there's a lot of people here, but they're mainly due to watch the big races, and we, we were a support race, but it's still nice to know. I'm on my bike, and I've gone out and done the first lap, and I thought, oh, the tires, these are new tires, they feel a bit different. Letting Trigger get him drunk the night before, and then, taping him to a chair he sort of had payback because on the second lap i was going down the flying kilo and i mean there's people like steve hisloff and jay dunlop they're on their works eight 90s bikes and they're pulling 191 through the through the speed trap and then they you flick a right and i'm on my bike and i'm probably pulling about 129 i think i got through there at but the bike's 30 years older than theirs on a classic but it's yeah. still still some bike and we're going down there and I really have only ever done this three laps they don't give you like five hours qualifying you, you, you go to Ireland and they go there's the there's a circuit have a ride round in the van with everyone else and off you go and I went to this bend and I went into the first bend and tried to get the bike as far over as I could and uh, all of a sudden the RSN comes around and it's looking at the front of me and these Michigans aren't very good are they so I managed to save that one and went over over Deer's Leap and down into the next right-hander, which is a slow right-hander, and even went into that. So I pulled into the pits and uh, screaming at Trigger, effing hell's wrong with all these these tyres, get the Dunlops back on. And he's looking to be rather sheepish, and he's going, well, we'd only have a spindle, but we don't have the nut. And uh, what he'd done is forgot to put the nut on uh, in, his, in his tongue over state. Uh, and I only had, literally a spindle in this bike and the wheel was moved going down the straight i guess it was okay it was weaving a bit but yeah so uh, one of the one of the few stories i can say where i was, I was lucky to survive uh so don't ever get your mechanic that drunk and can't put the wheel on in the morning no the, the i think the the answer for somebody being compass mentors is uh, is, is definitely an, an enhancement that's needed to be safe you then opened up a place obviously i moved to london you opened a place uh, in stamford doing cars and then you but you sort of started doing motorbikes because it was passion for the bikes and that really grew but of course where the skill was in in the bikes is, is like we as we know and between us and, and i think as i you'll say as i show you helped you the way is, is the buying you can sell everything but if you've got if you've bought it right you feel more comfortable with it you've got to buy it right but you understood that there are the other ancillaries that make a garage work and it's not just about the car sales well, shop side of it but unfortunately that that goes with it like you i was completely sales focused on selling the product 
not actually spending the time having a workshop that created a profit as well. Basically led me to going into bikes because you could sell a, back in the time, let's say a Ford Orion or something like that. You'd put a three months warranty on this car and it didn't matter if it was a thousand pounds or 5,000 pounds, they'd bring it back sure enough. And we were selling up to about 30, 40 cars a month because we was in a town where there weren't many car dealers. And that was one opening I noticed. And it didn't, it had some expensive car dealers and some main agents, but it didn't have a middle market. I also noticed at the time as well there weren't any bike dealers in that town only a honda agent and all he sold was honda mopeds or brand new hondas had an idea i thought i'll go out and buy go and buy the motorcycle news and we'd get on our mobile phones on the phone moving around the country buying bikes and you put four in the back of the van and you'd had a good day and in the end we were needing to do that more than once or twice a week that was a sliding door moment as well realizing that potential that was there that if you had more um, that you could actually sell more. Yeah, what we did was we was on, we had a corner where we used to put the cars. It was by chance. I put a couple of bikes out in the front I needed to sell. And they went straight away and people were slowing down. And I noticed well, we put these bikes out and I said, okay, I'll tell you what, let's, let's buy 10 bikes and try it. And let's put the bikes out on the front. We didn't have a showroom or anything, but let's put them out. We'll push them into the workshop of the nighttime, which proves you can improvise. Sure enough, we put them out and I did the maths for about six months and we ended up putting 20 bikes out there. And then we only had 30 cars and it went like that. And we ended up calling ourselves Stanford Cars and Superbikes because everybody knew where Stanford Cars was, but they didn't know what the superbike thing was going on. People are easily confused with advertising. So my, my written rule was make it plain, make it simple. We eventually changed our name from Stanford Cars to Stanford Cars and Superbikes, and we got rid of the cars and the vans in the end and just called ourselves Stanford Superbikes. And within the 18 to 24 month period, went from cars completely into motorcycles, still not having anywhere to show them or display them. People just didn't seem to mind because that area at the time didn't have a, didn't have a bike. Building the showrooms and everything's another podcast of how all that changed and how everything from meeting a guy in a lift as the lift door closed, he chased me around all week and he offered me a deal in the lift. And, and this, this is proving, this, this is how life is and, and it, you... We but can't. I had a choice, Warren. The choice was, do I take the... That was an opening point to a whole new chapter of my life. And it, yeah. well, a chance moment can actually create a whole new chapter of your life. You have to have the courage of your conviction. Yeah, the courage of your own convictions. Exactly. Some of your uh, proverbs have come true. So, Well, you could always give a reasons why not to do something, but there's never good reason. to that, but uh, if you actually don't always listen... To, so it's always good to make your own decisions with these things, I've, not believe what everybody tells you. Decisions are very important. And uh, the people who sit there and tell you that you made a wrong decision, well, actually, no, it was the right decision at the time. The ones who make decisions and do are the people that actually will make something in their lives rather than the ones that don't. You might fall down, but you how you get up and restart again. Absolutely, and I've had to do that like yourself a few times. Look, whatever we've done, you're, 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 uh, your past doesn't define you. Jez, thank you very much, and thank yeah, you pleasure. for talking to uh, to with me today on uh, as Warren Beckwith the, the show, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again, Jez Murray, in a, in a short while. Anyway, thank you. We'll catch up in the second part. Thank you.